Tattoos Podcast, episode 130, The Inertia of Assumption. Now, I'm really excited about today's podcast, but I need to start with a disclaimer. This podcast is not a political statement. This podcast isn't trying to undermine anything that our soldiers have done to defend our country. This podcast is not trying to, you know, play Monday morning quarterback, so to speak. All that we're trying to do in this podcast is to evaluate decisions in our history that teach us leadership principles today. We always need to step away from things that have happened in the past and say, what can I learn from this? Both good and bad, right and wrong, so that I can avoid the bad and replicate the good. History is a great tool. It's a great teacher. It's a great blessing. So we need to use it well. I just finished a book the other day called To Start a War. And this book is discussing the decisions, the conversations, and the actions that led to the invasion of Iraq by the United States following the September 11th attack. Now, I'm sure most of us have all lived through that period of time. I mean, unless you're real young, you, you remember it. I remember watching every day the news leading into the invasion of Iraq. I was 16 years old. It was March of 2003, so I had just turned 16. And in the introduction to this book, the writer says something very interesting. He talks about how on September 11, 2001, the United States experienced the worst attack in the history of the nation. Four commercial planes were hijacked by terrorists, flown into the Twin Towers, flown into the Pentagon. And then the fourth one was crashed in a field by some amazingly brave passengers of that flight that took it over, undoubtedly saving countless lives of that fourth airplane's target. Less than 14 months later, in response to the attack on America, the United States launched a preemptive war on a sovereign nation that did not assist in that attack, um, had not threatened to attack us at that time, nor had they done any harm. And when the writer put that statement in the book, it, it, it really kind of puts the invasion of Iraq into a, a weird perspective. Now, to be transparent, I, I am a George W. Bush fan. I was a fan of him when he was in office. I know I was young, but uh, I think he was the right man for the hour on 9-11. I think his resolve helped settle the country. I think Bush did a lot of really good things. Uh, I think there was a lot of decisions that he made that probably kept us from getting attacked again. Uh, I think his his spirit, his um, you know his 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 strength was a place of uh, was a place of help for our nation when we really needed it. You know, I, I've talked a lot before about the good things he's done. He, he was put in a very stressful situation, had to make decisions very quickly, and he made a lot of good decisions. At the same time, while I am a fan, I have to admit, and I think that most people at this point are admitting, that some of the information we were told was not accurate. Americans were told that there were weapons of mass destruction in Saddam's regime. We were told that Saddam was actively helping bin Laden and al-Qaeda. The American people were told that it was just a matter of time before Saddam would be helping them to attack America again. And this was a justification for invading Iraq. And the truth of the matter is that their narrative turned out to be not correct. It was inaccurate. Saddam did not have weapons of mass destruction. So how did all this happen? If I was to give you just the answer from researching this period of time, I would say this, that the Bush administration got sucked into the inertia of assumption. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of Bush, Powell, Rumsfeld, Tennant, Rice, 
all, all these key players following the attacks on 9-11. These people were tasked with the responsibility of keeping America safe. So there was this shock that America had been attacked on their watch. There was anger over the loss of so much innocent life. There was fear that this could happen again. And there was confusion in the aftermath of what actually happened. And this administration was dealing with a lot of situational fog. I mean, we, we have to give these people some, some grace. You know, they, they have this adrenaline of emotion. You know, they have this pressure to take action. And this created an atmosphere. This created a recipe for the inertia of assumption to set in. And this intense atmosphere following 9-11, pretty quickly there was this assumption that started taking root within the administration. Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda had claimed responsibility for the attacks, but the administration was struggling to believe that a group of people in the desert of Afghanistan could have pulled off the deadliest terrorist attack in the history of the United States. And so there was this assumption that there had to be someone financing and supporting them. And Saddam Hussein was the easy target, and frankly, he was a natural target. He had been an enemy of the United States going back over a decade to the first Gulf War. He was not a good man. He was an evil man. He was a man who tortured a lot of people, killed a lot of innocent people, uh, was well-documented to have used weapons of mass destruction in the past. Uh, on the day of 9-11 itself, he's out there running his mouth saying America is getting what it deserves. And so before long, this assumption that Saddam had something to do with 9-11 took root. And the assumption was that he did have weapons of mass destruction. It took deeper root. The assumption that he was going to use those weapons to help attack America also took root. And these assumptions started to compound on each other and they started to build their own inertia. And it's fascinating to read, to listen to the interviews, to observe everyone at this period of time that just assumed that Saddam had to have his hand in what happened on 9-11. This assumption built momentum like a freight train and it led to the only logical conclusion when you have a man over there that's pointing a gun at you, you better stop him. So we, the assumption was we have to go to war with this guy. And there was so much inertia behind this, this, this rationale of thinking that there was just no stopping the freight train. Now, what's interesting is that most people with this, within this administration would acknowledge that there was some level of assumption involved in the idea that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. Because the weapons inspectors from the UN couldn't find anything. But the Bush administration just didn't believe the UN inspectors. And, and why would you? I mean, let's be honest. The UN is not uh, an organization, a group of people that you really want to put your trust in. You definitely don't want to outsource your security. So they just assumed that Saddam was really good at hiding things. In an interview with CNN, Condoleezza Con Rice said, you know, we don't want the smoking gun to be a mushroom cloud. And so the, in the end, the United States would go to war with Iraq nine years later. The last soldier would leave. $8 billion was spent. 4,500 Americans would be killed. 300,000 Iraqis would die. And no weapons of mass destruction would be found. Now, there are a lot of redeeming things that happen. Saddam Hussein is no longer in power. That's a good thing. I think the world's a better place and a safer place without him at the helm as a dictator. But I do think it's interesting and I think it's important for us if we want to be intellectually honest, if we want to be uh, seekers of wisdom to stop and at least evaluate what transpired and what we can learn. 
And at the end of the day, a lot, this all happened because we assumed that he had weapons. And I think there's a leadership lesson in here that's very, very powerful for us. From time to time, we all get bit by the inertia of assumption. We have these assumptions that just start taking root in our life, and, and we run with them. You know, in church leadership, we, we have this assumption that this idea is going to work, so we put all of our time, our energy, our effort into achieving this idea only for it to crash and burn. We have this assumption that a team member is going to work out, or excuse me, a team member is not going to work out, so we start acting hostile towards them, and we end up sabotaging our team and losing our credibility. We have this assumption that the finances are going to go up, so we overcommit ourselves in debt and find ourselves in financial crisis. We have this assumption that people are being discipled because the church is growing, but once the fizz wears off for the new people, they start dropping like flies. And we look around and see that all of our growth was just a flash in a pan. These are just some examples. Assumptions can be powerful and can build momentum in our life and our leadership and can have a real detriment to our life and our leadership. What is worse is that assumptions can start building inertia within a group of people, and before long, everyone is consumed in these assumptions. Now, what contributes to this inertia of assumption within a group of people? And this is an important question to evaluate because we want to avoid this trap. If we can identify the contributing factors to assumption, then we can safeguard ourselves from falling into the trap of inertia. So I have some things I just want to share with you just using this period of time as, a, as an example. And here's the first one. What contributes to the inertia of assumption? First, a default to action. Man, one thing that I loved about the people in the Bush administration is that these people were, by and large, high achievers. The, the, a lot of politicians have only ever been politicians. That's not the case for a lot of the people in the Bush administration. A lot of them have been in military circles, private sectors, ran business, et cetera. They, they were very motivated. And Bush himself had this mentality of action was always better than inaction. And I, I'd like to believe I'm the same way because uh, I agree with that assessment, you know, really 100%. I'd like to believe that I am a person of action. I, I believe when you see a problem, you fix a problem. Leaders do that. When they see problems, they fix problems. If you don't want to fix problems, then don't get into leadership. In fact, I tell charity all the time, let's just do something even if it's wrong. I do not want to sit here, you know, on my haunches. I tell people all the time the Andy Andrews quote, you know, God hasn't given you the ability to make every right decision, but he has given you the ability to make every decision right. And I believe 95% of the time that is great advice. I, I think when in doubt, move. However, Sometimes the price of being wrong comes to the tune of 300,000 dead people. 300,000 pair of souls is a very difficult thing to fix. So we need to be careful not to act before we understand the problem. And that leads us straight into point number two. Points one and two go together. What contributes to the inertia of assumption? Having a default to action. Number two, not understanding the problem before discussing solutions. The Bush administration default to action meant that they had to get justice for the attacks on 9-11. Bluntly, as, as one of them had said, someone has to die for retribution for the loss of the American life. Where the Bush administration went wrong is that they were so eager to get justice that they never stopped long enough to try to understand who was the enemy. And why did they hate us 
and what is a realistic solution to the problem. You see, the United States had a hammer, and that hammer was and still is the best military the world has ever seen in all of history. I mean, if you want to see the pinnacle of military might, the United States has it at the moment. And what they wanted to do was use that hammer to fix the problems that led to 9-11. And this happens in the church all the time. We start to feel problems arise. We feel pressure, stress, fog of confusion, emotions, and we use the hammer that's in our hand to try and propose a solution and fix the problem. However, we've never actually stopped long enough to understand the problem to begin with, and we start making more of a mess than we actually fix of anything. Here's an easy example for church. You know, the church isn't growing. You know, well, we're not seeking the Lord enough. We, we're not, you know, we're not studying the problem. We're, we're, we're not trying to get perspective. We're just coming up with solutions. And so the solutions that we kind of start coming up with, we need to have more prayer meetings. You know, the church ain't growing. You know, we need, we need to build bigger buildings. Ah, church ain't growing. You know, people need more options. We need to go to five services on a weekend. You see this all the time. You know, they, there's a problem. They're not seeking the Lord. We're not studying the problem. We're not trying to get perspective. We're just trying to come up with solutions. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what if the reason the church isn't growing is because the parking lot isn't big enough? You spend all your energy, your time, your resources on a solution that doesn't solve the problems. So I, we, we have to have a default to action. We, we can't be people who just stick around and do nothing. However, we have to realize that very few pressing crises require immediate action. And the first action that we need to take is to start to educate ourselves on what is the problem, trying to get some perspective, and then we can start implementing some action on solution-based endeavors. We got to vet these potential solutions. We got to think through the implications of them. A default to action based on ignorant assumptions is a recipe for pain and disappointment. What contributes to inertia of assumption? Number three, developing collective wisdom without collective evidence. And this is a real big one, I think, especially in churches. You see, in the Bush administration, there were a lot of wise people in the room. These people were not idiots. Now, you, you might not like them, and obviously there's a lot of people that don't. You, you, you might have hated their policies. You might have thought that they came to the wrong conclusions. However, what you could not say is that they're uneducated morons. They were very smart. Most were type A personalities. Most had, very, had been very successful in their personal life. So when they get into the room, there's a lot of collective wisdom from all these intelligent people. And their collective wisdom said that Saddam had weapons. And so you just want to believe them. The problem is this collective wisdom was exchanged for collective evidence. Because when you started looking at the evidence, the empirical evidence that they had at the time, that, 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 that allegedly said Saddam had weapons of mass destruction and was helping bin Laden, there just was no evidence for it. There, there was not evidence for either one of those things. The fact of the matter is, that, and, and you know, and look in hindsight in the mirror, is that Saddam was a shell of a man that he used to be. You know, Saddam was really good at running his mouth and pointing the proverbial gun at people. However, his gun had no bullets. Saddam, for his part, ran his mouth because a dictator cannot let the people know that he doesn't have the ability to maintain power. He was, frankly, bluffing. 
And what's crazy is that all this intelligence came up empty. But Donald Rumsfeld, the Secretary of Defense, for his part, was notorious for saying, a lack of evidence does not prove something doesn't exist. You know, in in other words, you know, I have to, just because I don't have evidence that, um, you know, that Charity has, you know, a, a comb in her purse doesn't mean that it's not there. It's just that we haven't found it yet. And, and again, this same type of mindset, you know, the, is, is prevalent in churches all the time. We have high-capacity people. We have high achievers. We have talented people. And group think can start to take over and can be mistaken for evidence that isn't there. Or worse, when the evidence is lacking, we play the God told me card. As leaders, we need to be disciplined to make sure that the evidence for why we believe what we believe is actually there. We need to make sure that we do our research and our homework and don't force the evidence to say what you want it to say. Say what it actually says. What contributes to the inertia of assumption? Number four, making moral intentions, excuse me, mistaking moral intentions for wise action. George W. is a very interesting guy. By all accounts, even from his critics, he is a man of deep conviction and faith. One of his deeply held convictions is that all people wanted freedom the way that the United States had it. He truly believed that Saddam, that bin Laden, hated the freedom that the American people had. And he felt morally compelled to give the people of the world the same freedom that the United States had. There is a lot of accounts of Bush justifying his decisions based upon his convictions. And we should be people of high moral integrity. We should operate out of high level of conviction. However, conviction alone is not evidence of wise action. Of all the the contributions to assumption, this is the one that can catch church leaders the most susceptible, uh, in my opinion. Just because we say we're doing something for Jesus doesn't mean that we actually should be doing that thing for Jesus. You see, church leaders are notorious for just slapping Jesus' name on some very ignorant and foolish endeavors from time to time. And so just because we're saying we're doing this for Jesus doesn't mean that we actually should be. doesn't mean that he would actually want us to do that for him. So we have to be careful that this this moral intention isn't making us do foolish and ignorant things. Good morals is not a replacement for wise action. And at the same time, I don't think you can have wise action without being morally uh, right. So, I mean, I think these things need to go hand in hand. Fifth and finally, what contributes to the inertia of assumption? A disconnect from the tactical level. You know, in the cabinet level of the administration, most of those people believe that Saddam had, you know, weapons of mass destruction. However, a lot of the records are showing that a lot of the, you know, mid-tier, lower-level analysts who are doing the grunt work of trying to figure this stuff out actually did not believe that Saddam had the weapons. The people on the tactical level who were responsible for looking into the problem couldn't find any evidence of weapons. But that, that information wasn't going up. You know, those of us in church leader, we need to have the discipline to get good people at the tactical level of ministry, equip them, empower them, and actually listen to them. I mean, who knows better what a nursery worker needs than a nursery worker? Who knows better what a worship you know, team needs than, than the drummer? And, and the farther we are from the tactical level, the, the bigger and you know more likely we are to fall into our own assumptions. So I want to wrap it up with this. If we do not learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. 
Bush was put in a terrible position, and I think he did the best with what he could and with the hand that was dealt to him. And there's a high probability if we were in the exact same position he was, we might have done the exact same thing. Uh, to say it again, I'm, I'm not trying to do this podcast to try to play Monday morning quarterback. Obviously, I'm not qualified to do that. Um, I know I, in the areas, other areas of my leadership, I've done the same thing. I've, I've ran with assumptions that were just frankly wrong. However, it doesn't hurt to slow down and try to look at the lessons around us. And what we don't want is we don't want to be victims of assumption. And if we're not careful, that assumption can start building up its own inertia. And before long, it can get out of hand and we can really start messing some things up because we ran on those assumptions. So I hope this was beneficial to you. Chew on it a little while. I think it'll be a blessing to you. God bless.